This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Two teams went missing from a local town. She had been strangled. Her feet and hands bound. A body has been found. Police are looking for any leads. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. I am Alyssa Carroll, and this is Murder in the News. So our first story comes out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Neighbors who lived in the same apartment complex as a woman and her boyfriend, 23-year-old Michael Buchanan, began to get concerned after they heard children's screams coming from the couple's apartment regularly. Some even went down to the front office of the apartment complex to report what they were hearing, to which they were told, quote, we'll look into it. On February 14, 2019, Torrance, who was not quite two years old yet, was taken to a nearby hospital because he had stopped breathing. The doctors quickly discovered that Torrance had suffered a skull fracture and it was determined that this happened when the toddler was left in the care of Michael Buchanan. Michael was arrested and charged with child abuse and causing serious bodily injury but has since been charged with second degree murder. Inglewood, New Jersey. 71 year old Edward Bodock and his wife, 72 year old Miroslawa had decided to put their home on the market. Due to the rather high price they were asking, the home had been on the market for some time. Neighbors described the couple as very nice, very good people. They also had one of their grown sons, 43-year-old Powell Bodick, living in the home with them. It is not clear as to why he was still living at home with his parents, but it is widely known that he, quote, had some issues such as walking up and down the street, seemingly very agitated, and his mother would have to retrieve him and take him to the porch and calm him down. This past Saturday morning, February 16th, 2019, another son of theirs called the police to go to the home for a welfare check. The police discovered Edward and Miroslava dead. Both had been stabbed repeatedly. Powell was not in the house. So, the police began to search for him and eventually found his car parked at a shopping center. So they sat and waited and watched until he was seen walking up to his car. There he was arrested and has been charged with two counts of murder. Houston, Texas. A Dunkin' Donuts employee and shift manager, whose name has not yet been released as of this recording, was described by co-workers as well as customers as a darling, that she was always warm and welcoming to everyone. She took the time to get to know her regular customers and greeted them individually. Sometime around noon on February 15, 2019, a man entered Dunkin' Donuts, shot the woman dead, then shot himself in a murder-suicide. When police arrived, both were dead. The case is currently being investigated. North Naples, Florida. 
40-year-old Michael Wallacher had landed a six-week contract for a job in North Naples to do some work on a plaza building. He had parked his camper behind the building so that he could stay close to the work site during the duration of the contract. Michael was also letting another worker sleep in the camper and even gave up his own bedroom in the back. His guest said that he heard the door to the camper open around 3 a.m., heard footsteps into the camper and a man's voice say, quote, hey bro. The guest then heard Michael turn over in his bed and say, who the fuck are you? He then immediately heard multiple gunshots. Staying hidden in the back bedroom of the camper, he heard the shooter leave. So he peeked out of a small window and saw the shooter walking toward a white truck with advertising on the side for Rainaway Roofing. Once the shooter drove off, the guest exited the camper and ran to a nearby gas station and called the police. The police quickly found that a 39-year-old man by the name of Brandon Jensen was the owner of the truck. They then did a quick sweep of the area near the camper and plaza building. They found Jensen standing waist deep in a lake covered in blood. They arrested him and he quickly confessed, but additional information such as motive has not yet been released. Serial killer Samuel Little, whom I have done a full chapter on over on the Instagram page, has now begun to draw pictures of some women he has confessed to killing. Samuel has admitted to killing more than 90 women from 1970 to 2005 across the United States. His recent drawings are of three women and the police have released photos of these sketches in hopes that someone might recognize the women and that they can get their identity. They have been able to identify two other victims that Samuel drew pictures of so far. His drawings are readily available online and I urge you to go look and see if you might recognize these women. They would have been in Georgia. Minneapolis, Minnesota. 67-year-old Eileen Mark and her daughter, 42-year-old Jennifer Angerhofer, shared an apartment together. Across the hall from them lived Richie Lee Vessel. Eileen and Jennifer appeared to be listening to some music loudly one night. Neighbors in the apartment complex all stated they heard the music, then heard a man and a woman arguing, then many gunshots. Someone called the police. When the police arrived, they gained entry into the women's apartment to find Eileen's lifeless body near the door, having been shot in the chest with a 40 caliber bullet casing near her body. Her daughter was found in the kitchen, shot in the face. They then went across the hall and knocked on Richie's door and asked him if he had heard anything. He stated that he hadn't. Another police officer went to other doors to get witness statements. One neighbor said that Richie had, in the past, shown them a gun he owned and had openly threatened to kill another tenant. The cop that had been talking to Richie noted that there was what appeared to be blood on his front door light switch, as well as on an interior wall, and found bloodied clothes. They searched the complex's trash dumpster where they found a trash bag with a 40 caliber handgun, a gun magazine, as well as a prescription pill bottle and mail 
with Richie's name and address on it. Richie has been arrested and is scheduled to make his formal court appearance this Friday, February 22nd. So our final story will be a longer one and I must warn you, it is a bit graphic. It's coming out of Salisbury, North Carolina. Erica Lynn Parsons was born on February 24, 1998 and was immediately given up for adoption by her mother, Carolyn Parsons, who had grown up in foster care and homeless shelters herself, and she did not want the same for her baby girl as she knew she would be unable to care for the baby. Carolyn had been married, but the baby wasn't his and the couple had separated. So Carolyn allowed her husband's brother, Sandy, and his wife, Casey Parsons, to adopt baby Erica, and Carolyn was allowed to visit her daughter on occasion. In 2013, 19-year-old Jamie Parsons, big brother to adopted Erica, reported his little sister missing to the police, stating he had not seen her for two years. He reported that his parents, mostly his mother, had physically abused the girl throughout the years, even being starved at times as a form of punishment. And the last time he had seen his little sister, she had been 13 at the time, she was standing in the corner as a punishment, but she was complaining that she didn't feel good and that she couldn't breathe very well. To which her adoptive mother replied, quote, shut the fuck up. Jamie then said when he awoke the next morning, his parents and Erica were not home, which was very unusual. And when his parents returned, Erica was not with them. He asked where she was and they told him that they had sent her to live with a grandmother. Jamie then told the police that he believed his parents had killed Erica and buried her in the backyard. During the police investigation, it was determined that the woman the parents had named that Erica had gone to live with actually never existed. Interviews with other family members brought to light the level of abuse Erica had suffered through the years. The sister of the adopted mother said that her sister had beat Erica and often and that Erica had clear bruising and marks on her body. So she offered to let Erica live with her for a while, to which her sister agreed, stating, quote, so I won't kill her. Casey, the adoptive mother, finally said she wanted Erica back before it would be discovered that she was receiving money for Erica's care while she was not living there. Jamie, the older brother, told stories of how all of the children, through the urging of their mother, were encouraged to abuse Erica, even admitting sadly that he had once broken her arm. She was locked in closets where she was left for so long she had to urinate on the floor. Casey herself would bend Erica's fingers back so far that they would snap. She was made to eat canned dog food and Sandy, the father, had been known to punch her in the back of the head. During the time Erica was still missing, Casey and Sandy continued to receive and cash checks on behalf of the little girl for adoption assistance, as well as claiming Erica on their taxes. So in 2013, the parents were invited to go on the Dr. Phil show, where Dr. Phil asked about why Erica took none of her clothes or personal effects with her to this supposed grandmother's house, 
to which Casey said the grandmother had already purchased all new clothes and necessities for Erica, so there was no reason for her to take her old stuff. For two years, Erica was missing, and no one reported her as such. That's two years of not a single person looking for her. Clues and evidence, gone. Finally, in 2014, Sandy and Casey were arrested for fraud due to taking money and claiming Erica on their taxes illegally. The FBI offered a $50,000 reward for information that would lead to finding Erica. In 2016, after many interviews with Sandy, the father, he finally admitted that the family had treated her terribly and decided to lead the police to Erica's remains, which were buried in a small, shallow grave near his mother's home. An autopsy was done with the remains and it was determined that she had died of, quote, homicidal violence with undetermined means and then dismembered. The results of the autopsy show that she had many bone fractures in her nose, her jaw, right arm, nine of her ribs, and even in many of her vertebrae, all of which were in different stages of healing at the time of her death. As of February 14, 2019, the murder trial for Sandy and Casey Parsons is set to begin in the spring of 2020, and they are both thankfully facing the death penalty. This has been Murder in the News. Thank you so much for listening. Music by Kevin MacLeod on Incompetech.com.